0: What's up my friends? Jason MN is here, so glad to be with you here on Stan, Strong in the Word podcast. Today as podcast 103, and we continue our study on Thursday night of Passion Week, and this is going to be part 8 of our installment as we've been exploring for the last few months, the upper room discussion. Now, if you missed the previous podcast, podcast 102, where we talked about the meaning of Jesus's priestly prayer, you can check things out at StandStrongMinistries.org. Click on podcast. My notes are there. So make sure you take advantage of that because it's a great resource for you to do verse-by-verse study of the Bible as we're looking at a chronological teaching of Jesus's life. Now, today, we're going to be covering the Garden of Gethsemane. So after Jesus' priestly prayer, again, I believe that was already occurring as he left the upper room and was entering the Garden of Gethsemane, and then we pick things up here in Matthew chapter 26, 36 through 46, and it's cross-referenced with Mark chapter 14, verses 32 through 42, and Luke chapter 22, verses 40 through 46. Now, as always, I will combine the three narratives that we have in the Synoptic Gospels and go into a deeper study so we can kind of get a broader understanding, but also uh, honing in on some specifics so we can get greater information, so we can put these things together to understand what the writers of the Gospels wanted to convey to its readers. And of course, fast forward over 2,000 years later, And that rich understanding of what Jesus is encountering at this time is so uh, important for us to grasp even still today. So I pray that as we look at the Garden of Gethsemane, that we understand not just the pressure, my friend, but the enduring love that Christ had for you and for me. So what I want to do now is just read Matthew's account in chapter 26 and read verses 36 through 46 and then what we could do is get Mark's account and Luke's account and mesh them into one and add some commentary so it says here in verse 36 then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane and he said to his disciples sit here while I go over there and pray and taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee that's James and John he began to be sorrowful and troubled Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you will not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and he prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and he prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and he said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So right away we see here in verse 36, my friends, that when Jesus went with him to this place called Gethsemane, it's the Hebrew word meaning oil press, right? And he was saying to his disciples that we are going to stay here for a while, and we're going to pray now, Gethsemane was a regular meeting place for Jesus and his disciples. Now, I find it interesting that the upper room was a place, I believe, that we're we're going to see later as we study the book of Acts, was a meeting place for the disciples after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, leading up to this point, Gethsemane was a meeting place that Jesus liked to have with his disciples. We see that in John chapter 18, verse 2. And again, it was an easy place then for Judas to locate Jesus later in the evening. He knew probably some of the details that that, uh, were pertaining to the Passover meal. And probably Jesus spent some time after uh, the evening time to go and pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. So it was an easy place for him to be able to find Jesus, if you will. In verse 37, when he took Peter and the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, Notice it says here that he began to be sorrowful and he was troubled. Now, this is interesting because if you go back to Mark chapter 5, verse 37, Jesus often would take the inner circle, these three men, and he gets to show them not just what prayer looks like, but the utter sorrow that he was experiencing. And you would imagine how they felt. If you've ever been in a situation Uh, perhaps even with a loved one, someone that you have grown up with, a family member or a very dear close friend from church. But when they lose a loved one and they're very sorrowful about it and they're mourning, it could be awkward at times, uh, but it makes you sorrowful. It makes you feel the pain that they're feeling. One, because of their loss. Perhaps maybe you you, you love the same person they loved. And so you're mourning together. Or you don't, but you love the person who's mourning who lost a loved one. And it can become very emotional. So you wonder how Peter, James, and John felt as Jesus became sorrowful and troubled. Now we're told in verse 38, when he was crying and weeping, he says to them, my soul is very sorrowful. Now this is a reflection of Isaiah 53 verse 3. So we have to put into account when you look at the suffering servant in the prophet's book Isaiah, you see that The suffering servant was not just the torture that he would experience, which would later be obviously fulfilled in Christ on the cross, but the suffering was also taking on human flesh and experiencing the pain and the agony in the world. And so here is a reflection of the suffering servant in the garden of Gethsemane. And he says, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. And he tells him to remain here and watch with me. Now, in Luke chapter 22, verse 40, it says, pray that you may not enter into temptation. So it wasn't just Jesus saying to the disciples, hey, I want you to pray and just be with me. He's saying, I also want you to pray for yourselves, lest you fall into temptation. We know in the upper room, and even prior to that in Matthew chapter 16, that Jesus prayed for his disciples. We saw the priestly prayer for protection. So in just a few hours, Jesus was about to face the wrath of sin and his disciples are going to be tested. And even after the burial of Jesus, their faith personally and corporately and also in the culture is going to be tested. But we know the outcome, that they endure through it. As Thomas doubted and he struggled and he wasn't there to witness uh, the return of Christ in his post-resurrected body. And he was crying out for evidence and Jesus appeared to him. We know Peter and them were weeping and they stayed in the upper room with the door locked because they were afraid. But then on the day of Pentecost, he comes boldly forth in the power of the spirit to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thousands of people give their life to the Lord. But at this moment in time in the garden of Gethsemane, the disciples don't know what's going on. They don't understand the depth of Jesus's sorrow. They don't know what's about to take place just like a loved one. You don't know when their last day is going to be. If you did, you obviously would see things a lot differently and how you engage them and how you spend time with them and how you value them. Well, the disciples don't know. Jesus had said, I'm going to leave you. And that was very troubling to them and, and emotional, but they don't know that it was about to take place in just a matter of a few minutes when Judas, one of their own, is going to come with the guards of the temple to arrest Jesus and try him illegally during the early mornings. And then later that day on Friday, have him crucified publicly on the cross. So here in verse 39, Jesus goes a little farther and he falls on his face and he prays saying, Abba, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Now that's a favorite verse for many of us when we're dealing with, you know, struggling in the flesh and wanting to do what God has called us to do. We often say, you know, as Jesus said in the garden, not my will, but your will be done. But what does that even look like? Well, a couple things here. First, notice Jesus references to the cup that passed from me. Now, cup represents deep sorrow and suffering. If you go back to Psalm 75 verse 8, Isaiah 51 verse 7 Jesus is referencing that from Scripture. Remember, he's a suffering servant, as we already covered in Isaiah 53. And now he's referencing this cup, meaning this is some intense suffering. And so Jesus' impending torture, what was about to come, his death on the cross was very overwhelming to him. But even more crushing, if you imagine, Jesus came to take on the sin of the world. We're told that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, Galatians 3, verse 13, Hebrews 12, verse 2, 1 Peter 2, 24. And the amazing thing here, my friend, that we see as Jesus is giving up his life, giving his will over to the Father, surrendering himself as a vessel, there's two spiritual reflections. Number one, in the first garden, Adam and Eve did what they wanted to do. And the result led to corruption and separation with God. In the second garden, Jesus intercedes on our behalf. He will soon become the atoner, as first John chapter two, verse two says, that he becomes our advocator on our behalf. We're told in First Timothy chapter two, four and five that he becomes our mediator between God and man. And he brings us forgiveness and redemption and reconciliation. Now, number two, with when it comes to the spiritual reflection is that the deep sorrow of Jesus is reflective of crushing and pressing of olives for oil in Gethsemane. He was going to be crushed. So two symbols of spiritual reflection that we see is Adam and Eve failed, Jesus is going to restore that. Number two, because of the setting of oil being crushed and the anointing, that's a reflection of oil, Jesus is the anointed one who will be crushed for our sins. And that is the meaning that we see here. So it's not just like, hey, Lord, your will be done in my life. Not mine, but yours. And we say those prayers and those are powerful prayers if you mean them. But notice what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I'm willing to be crushed for other people. You're willing to surrender your joys, your dreams for the sake of others. So I pray that when you think of that, that you understand the great love that Jesus endured because of the impending judgment that was going to fall upon him for you and for me. Now, in Matthew 26, verse 40, it says, and he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. So again, they weren't with him to mourn with him, to understand the depth of his sorrow. He told them in Luke chapter 22 to pray in verse 40 that they may not enter into temptation and yet they're sleeping. And so notice he says not to the inner circle, but to Peter, again, kind of the ringleader. So you cannot watch with me one hour. So notice he says in verse 41, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So he tells him that again. He says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So on Passover, it was normal for people to stay up late. Yet the disciples, they couldn't even remain awake to keep watch over Jesus. And not long before this, Peter told Jesus, remember, that he would even die for him in, in Matthew 26, verse 35, but yet he can't even stay awake. Yet he can't even be on guard to be there for his Savior in time of sorrow. But yet, notice what Jesus was doing. He was the one that, who was actively awake. He was the one who was vigilantly praying, not just for him, but also for the disciples. He was the one that was crying out to the Father on our behalf, the best of the disciples on the other hand were inactive and they were sleepy, which brings us to the other spiritual reflection here. This meaning that we see between the disciples and Jesus points to us today. Think about how many times God calls you to pray. The Bible says to be persistent, to continue to ask, to seek, to knock. You don't have because you ask not. To be consistent in your prayers is a common theme. To be devoted to your prayers, Colossians 4 verse 2. The disciples couldn't even do that. But yet it was Jesus who was the one that was praying. And that right there is a reflection of us today. When you and I are down and out, when you and I are struggling, we're not crying out to him. Who is the one that's making intercession for us constantly? It's Jesus, Hebrews chapter 7 verse 24. He's the one that is praying for us when we can't even pray. He's the one that is praying that we will grow, that we would not fall short, that we would not succumb to the flesh, that we won't set our mind to the flesh that leads to death, but that we'd walk in the spirit so we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh, that we do his work that he has called us to do. And that right here is what Jesus is saying when he says, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So again, we're told in verse 42, the second time he went away and he prayed, my father, this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. So notice the repetition of Jesus's prayers. No matter the cost, Jesus prayed in obedience to fulfill the father's will for him. Now this not only demonstrates the obedience of Jesus, but it shows the absolute trust that Jesus the son of God had for our heavenly father. And verse 43, and again, he came and he found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. Mark chapter 14, verse 40 says, and they did not know what to answer him. So they know they're guilty and they can't even respond to Jesus. So as Jesus's sorrows deepened, the awareness and the concern of the disciples lessened. Now you think about your life. How does that point out? Your life with God right now, as God is moving, as God is doing powerful things, as you read the scripture, but you don't feel it. I've talked to so many Christians. They said, yeah, I just don't feel it anymore. Like I used to, the passion is almost kind of gone. I, you know, I, you know, I try to read the Bible, but I just find it to be boring. And that's kind of the state of mind right now where the disciples are at. And here in the Greek, it doesn't carry the idea that they were shocked that they were like were feeling guilty because he found them sleeping again. They just were complacent. They just were exhausted and they would much rather sleep than listen to what Jesus was saying to them. So we're told in verse 44, so leaving them again, he went away and he prayed for the third time saying the same words again. Notice it doesn't say that the disciples finally got up and followed Jesus to pray with him. But here Jesus again is this deep sorrow just continues to come upon him and he's praying for deliverance. But notice he says, if this cup is not to pass, let let your will be done. He was so overwhelmed by what was to come that he remained committed to pray repeatedly that the father's will be accomplished. That's another great insight that we have to understand, my friends. Oftentimes we pray about something, but we're not persistent in it. We pray about something, but then we give up. And sometimes we take that as a no, when God says, no, where's your faith? Where's your obedience? Or as we pray, it starts being revealed to us that we need to be, uh, our commitment level needs to be greater, or we're not being as obedient, or we need to do something God is requiring us to do. And then you realize, I don't think I'm willing to do that. And that's the test here as well. But notice Jesus persistently, repeatedly gives his life over to the Father, which I think is very insightful for you and for me, that there are times when you're praying and nothing's happening, you need to continue to pray and not to lose heart, as Jesus told his disciples in Luke chapter 18, verse one. And I believe that's the case. Oftentimes, it's simply a lack of faith and it's a lack of consistency. And God says, when we pray, we're not to lose heart. And think about your prayer life, Through the years, how often have you, how often have I lost heart? And I will tell you, my friends, when I go deep into my prayer life as I journal and I reflect back, I see there are periods of times where I'm crying out to God and nothing. I feel like Habakkuk sometimes in that plea or Jonah and the whale, you know, and you'd feel depressed. But then Jonah had that faith and he prayed for God's will to be done and God used him. And then even in the end, he complained about it. And so there are moments in our, in our life where we feel close to God. We feel that he is going to use us in a mighty way or is using us in a mighty way. But then there's times we slip into the flesh. We start taking credit and we stop praising God and honoring him, or we face a great challenge. And we say to ourselves, this is completely and totally impossible. So you don't even pray about it because you're thinking, why even pray? Because this is impossible. But we know the Bible says what's impossible for us is not impossible for God. And I think oftentimes it's not just that we lose heart, but we lose sight of who God truly is. Jesus didn't. He knew that this is what the father called him to do because he knew who the father was. And oftentimes I think that when we start mixing our own particular beliefs against that which the scripture teaches, trouble will come because then we we start believing a lie and we start thinking about something about God that's not true. And there's a lot of danger in that. Now, I love this part because oftentimes, even though it may not be this powerful, uh, this has happened in my own life to some degree. And possibly many of you who are listening to this podcast, that when you're praying and you're in dire need of guidance, God will send his angels. Notice that he continued to pray because you notice if Jesus just prayed once and he's suffering and then gets up and he goes to the disciples and they're dead asleep and they're not listening. He gets frustrated and just say, you know, forget this whole thing. And he starts looking for Judas himself, you know, to to hand him over, you know, to the Sanhedrin. No, he continued to pray. And it was after the third time that we're told in scripture, notice in verse 43 and 44 of Luke chapter 22. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. See, the father listened, he heard, and he sends a messenger, an angel to comfort him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. This is interesting because here he starts suffering with a rare disease known as hematotrosis where his capillaries are bursting instead of sweat, coming out, blood's coming out, which is making probably him feel very fatigued with this hypovolemic shock of losing blood around his body, making his body look like bruise and like he starts suffering with contusions and bruise marks and shaping his body into like mold and mesh so it's not as hard because his bones are, are are very fragile now probably having mass migraines so rather than jesus actually getting better physically he's getting worse but notice it says he was strengthened though isn't that interesting and there are times where you and i can't explain that when god strengthens you in the midst of horrific pain and yet you have this peace. So here Jesus was physically suffering at this point, but yet we're told as he was strengthened by this angel sent by the Father, he prayed more earnestly. Now, although some early texts omit this section, it does seem true in the Loken language. Because remember, Luke, a physician, he describes uh, this metal condition, You know, as I mentioned earlier, hematotrosis. That, that points to Jesus' mental and physical exhaustion that brought extreme sorrow and stress. So there's no question that the sorrow that Jesus was experiencing was brought on and continued to produce massive amount of anxiety and stress. So my friend, Jesus suffered with these things. And as you right now are filled with anxiety or stress, you need to take comfort as Jesus did that God's will be done in your life and not to give up. So now here in verse 45, Jesus comes to the disciples. Luke twenty-two, forty-five 45 says he rose from prayer and he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping for sorrow. And he says to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See the hours at hand and the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, verse 46, let us be going. See my betrayer is at hand. Now, I don't believe that Jesus was able to hear the guards with Judas coming when, when they were entering the Garden of Gethsemane. I believe this was prophetic, that Jesus knew precisely the moment in time that his betrayer, that is Judas, was coming with the, with the temple guards. And so he goes and he gets the disciples. And of course, we'll see in, in the next podcast what occurs afterwards as we're now entering early Friday morning, the day in which Jesus Christ was going to be publicly humiliated on the cross and he would give up his spirit for you and for me. But the lesson that we see here, my friends, on today's podcast is that when you pray that you're not to lose heart, don't give up. Whatever you're praying about, whatever you're struggling through, give it to God as Jesus did. He continued to pray when nobody else would pray with him. He continued to pray when he was all alone. He continued to pray when he was suffering with some intense anxiety and stress When he was weeping when he had no direction of what to do he cried out to the father and he knew though every prayer i don't want to do what you have not called me to do jesus remained steadfast jesus set his eyes on the cross and he knew through the cross would come the crown and the same applies to you and to me my friend when you pray it may look bleak things may be dark it may even seem impossible that that mountain will move but in faith in the powerful name of Jesus Christ pray that God's will be done in and through you that, it, that either that will take uh, great fasting and consistency contacting several people to be praying with you to be praying alongside of you to make supplication on your behalf to make intercession on your behalf whatever it is don't lose heart be like our savior Jesus continue to pray, continue to pray for not just your life, but for the lives that God has placed in your life, that you'd be a great witness. My friends, I pray that as we examine the garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus prayed the night in which he was betrayed, that that has emboldened you to live a life of faith in a greater way in your prayer life, that you would be a great example to those around you. So thank you for listening, my friends. And until next time, keep standing strong, my friends. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening, and keep standing strong in the Word of God.